Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 311. For the next two or three days, I want to talk about Yom Kippur and the elements that surround this most sacred of all the Jewish Moed or appointed times. And I want to start out with the very basics because sometimes I understand that many of us who preach and teach the Bible, we take a lot for granted. And we assume that the audience to whom we're speaking really understand much of what we do. Dr. John Pretlove, one of my professors, he was from England and was brilliant in so many ways and had studied at Cambridge and Spurgeon's College. And he said to me, he had been a pastor for years before he came to the United States to teach at the college and go to school at Southwestern and then uh, come and teach for Dr. Criswell. He said, Tony, don't expect your people to see overnight what has taken you years to form conviction about. Well, I took that to heart. But if I was in that same classroom, I would say to him, after pastoring now for more than four decades, that also we don't need to assume that people know what we're talking about and know the Bible and the elements of the Bible in the same way that we do. And pastors are notorious and Bible teachers are notorious at that. And so what I want to do is go back and talk about the elements of the tabernacle and the first and second temple, just so that we are all on the same page, because for the next few podcasts, I'm going to talk about this idea of worship and and the centrality of sacrifice throughout the Word of God. Some of you know, at least, I preached a message five hours long and uh, with only a 10-minute break some years ago, and I produced a couple hundred pages of notes out of that and entitled it The Crimson River. And it's the story of God that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation and the great story of sacrifice that started in the garden and will run all the way through the Bible. It is the story of redemption, God's wonderful redemption. But part of that story is the worship center that the Lord designed and patterned it after the worship center in heaven. Now, that's exactly what the Bible says. Some people find that incredible and hard to believe. But you see, there is a worship center in heaven. That's what the scripture says. And that what we have here on earth is a type of that, a tupas, a model of it, if you will. It was at the center of everything the children of Israel did on their journey from Egypt and escaping the bondage there by the great and powerful hand of God until they arrived in the promised land. And then one of the things that they did when they got there, as soon as they came to the point to where they could have a modicum of victory and stability, then they went to Shiloh and set up the tabernacle. And I would love to teach you about the tabernacle at Shiloh low, where I believe the foundation has been found there in that marvelous archaeological site of ancient Shiloh. You can see it now, and it's in the very place that it was during the days of Joshua and following. But the tabernacle was the center of everything. It was a logistical miracle. Every time they tore it down and then set it back up again, it was an amazing feat of logistics. And all of the priests and Levites had a role to play in that. It was like 
like an army that just took care of tearing down and putting back up this portable worship center called the Tent of Meeting, which we call a tabernacle. But that's where God said, I'll meet with you. It was the first thing. They went in. They found the place where God wanted them to be. He led them to a particular setting, and then they would set that tabernacle up. Everyone would come in. They had a very methodical way to do that, and you can read about it in the Word of God. It's very clearly laid out how the priests were organized and how they did this. And then they would set up the tabernacle, and until it arrived at Shiloh, which, by the way, was the capital of Israel for 369 years, it was the place, the central place, place of worship before David's capture of Jerusalem and moving the central worship center to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, where the Lord Jesus, as you know, walked in the second temple. And so the tabernacle was set up and it was there until Solomon built the first temple on the very place where Abraham was to offer Isaac. The binding of Isaac took place. I personally believe that is is where, as the Jews do, the great Jewish sages and rabbis down through time immemorial, they have believed that that foundation stone there upon which the ark sat in the Holy of Holies was the very place where God created Adam. I believe that, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and that's, that's what Tony believes. This is not everything that's taught in the Bible. This is just what I believe, and I believe the Jews have a good argument for that, and this was a sacred place, as you know. Mount Moriah was during the time of Abraham and before. It was known because it was called the place of Moriah, the place where God will be seen, the place where God will manifest, the place where God will show up. It was that, and Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, was there, and he was a priest of the Most High God of El Elyon. And so, indeed, it was a sacred place from the time far before Abraham. This is where the Bible of Isaac took place. This is where David bought that threshing floor from Aruna, the Jebusite, and that is the place where Solomon later built the temple. Now, remember, the temple was a great expansion, but the same layout as the tabernacle. Now, that temple stood from about 960, when Solomon finished it, 960, 961, down to 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon and destroyed that temple, what we call the first temple, and for 70 years they were without a central place of worship, 70 years to the year, from 586 all the way down to 516. That's 70 years just like Jeremiah said it would be. That is what I call the captivity because that is when they were without a central place of worship. Now, you can date the 70 years from 605 when Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, all of that group were taken to Babylon down to 535 when the foundation was laid for the second temple. You can date it from there. Any way you date it, that's okay with me. I'm just saying I believe that the true years of captivity was when they did not have a place, a central place to worship. After all, that is at that time the way that God spoke to them in a very specific way. And that's where the sacrifice was made. That's where Yom Kippur 
Passover was celebrated and the atonement was made. And so, as you know the story, in 539 B.C., the Persian king Cyrus gave a decree, as Isaiah the prophet said he would. Isaiah's day, as you know, was 200 years earlier. And he said that Cyrus would do that, called him by name, said that he would free the people. And about 50,000 came back in three years. They laid the foundation stone, worked for a year, laid the foundation of the temple, and then they started building their own houses and building their own kingdom because they were discouraged and people were fighting against them there in the land, and they just quit until God sent two fiery prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And if you read the book of Haggai, especially that first chapter with this in mind, that they had turned away from building the house of God just because they were discouraged to do so and started building their own houses, and God sent a raging inflation. You can read the story of it, of a man putting money in his pocket with just uh, no pockets, just holes, and getting the money out and the wind blowing it away. That's a dramatic picture of inflation, what's beginning to happen in America in our current uh, day. I'm talking about today, this week, all month, this the rest of this year for the foreseeable future. And what I'm saying to you is Haggai and Zechariah came in and God used them to stir the people's hearts. That's what he always does in a nation. He takes the men of God with fire in their bones and the word of God in their heart and in their mouth and in their hand, and they preach the word of God and revival comes. And sure enough, they started building the temple, and in four years, they dedicated that second temple. And that's the temple that the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, and that group of people began to expand as they expanded their regaining of the promised land and expanding their grip on the promised land from the Greeks and the ones to the north and the ones to the south. And as they laid hold of more land, they began to expand the place of worship. And you can see the different expansion joints today in the walls of the temple complex today. And I'd love to show those to you and and to lay those out for you so that you can see them and see the historicity of the Bible come alive. But the fact is that the greatest expansion of that temple started under Herod the Great. And there's a lot of reasons why he did that, but the fact is he did. And it was a magnificent sight to see. Josephus Flavius tells much about this, and you can read the description of it. It boggles the mind of how many millions upon multiplied millions of current everyday dollars that we have today would have been put in that project, billions over the course of the entire project itself. It was a magnificent place during the days of Jesus. Construction was still going on. But this temple, we're going to talk about that because you see the layout was the same. And I want to just, if I could, just get you to thinking about this. And then the next podcast, tomorrow's podcast, we'll talk more about the furnishings and about the ark in particular because that's the piece of furniture and the element that I want to talk about in relation to Yom Kippur. And then we'll talk about that day in particular because this coming Wednesday evening, we begin Yom Kippur, and it is the most solemn of all the holidays in the nation of Israel and for Jews around the world. But when you walked in through the curtain, through the gate of the tabernacle, and then through the beautiful gates into the outer court, as it was called, the first thing you encounter is a brazen altar. Now, the one that was there during 
during the days of Jesus was a magnificent structure. And remember, it did not have steps. It had a ramp going up to it because God would not allow steps to be put up to it because as the priest would go up to make sacrifices, if there were steps, they would have to step and their nakedness could be seen because it was a very tall and high altar. And so a ramp was made so they wouldn't have to bend their knees so much so that their nakedness would not be shown. And even on the day of atonement, the priest would take off those beautiful garments that he normally wore in the breastplate, and uh, he would put on pure white garments, and it had underpants with it, long pants, so that his nakedness would not be seen in any wise and would be covered as he walked to make the sacrifices that were made on that holy and special day of the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering. And so you had this huge altar, and then you remember during the first temple, the next thing you would encounter would be a huge laver, what was a laver, a wash basin in the tabernacle during the period of the first temple was a huge wash basin. It was called the Sea of Solomon, and it was for cleansing for the priest, and it had bulls underneath it. It had 12 bulls, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west, and three on the east, facing outward toward the directions. And then there were many wash basins that were stationed around so that all of the blood could be washed, yes, through the containers of water and the buckets of water. There was constant sacrifices and washings that had to be done, but these particular basins were for the priests to wash their hands as they and to wash their feet as they served in the service of the Lord. And then you went inside of the Haron, inside, it's what the Greek word is, Haron, and it is the word for the holy place. And when you went in to the right, you would see a table called the table of showbread. And it was 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, God's sustenance for them, not just in the past, but at present. That was changed every week, and the priests would eat that. That was part of what their ritual was. To the left, when you walked in, would be a seven-branch menorah, a lampstand, Sometimes people see a seven branch and a nine branch. Now, the nine branch is for Hanukkah. It has a specific purpose that we'll talk about in the days ahead. When we get up near the end of the year, I'll talk about Hanukkah. The Hanuki is nine branches, and, and it has significance as to why it has nine branches. But that's not the menorah that was in the tabernacle or in either of the temples. But it was seven branches that represented again, the seven days of creation. It's very important because you see, creation is important to God. I've said this over and over again in my preaching in the podcast, on the TV programs, radio programs. Folks, I cannot overemphasize to you how much God wants us to emphasize that He is the creator and the sustainer of all of life. And as the creator, He wants us to know that we are accountable to Him. He made us. Well, he made us in His image. And because sin has brought the curse upon us doesn't relieve our accountability. So we need to understand that God, even in this sacred temple, he set a piece of furniture there, if you will, that would remind the people that he is the light of the world and he's the one that brings light into the world. He is the one that is light. Before there was ever the sun or the moon or the stars, he is light. He was, he is, he ever shall be. 
He is the light of the world. He is the source of all light. He expanded that knowledge to us in the book of Genesis when he talks about these six days of creation and then Shabbat. That's what that menorah, seven branches, stands for. And then there was the altar of incense, the golden altar that stood there in that sacred place before the great veil. Now, behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, it was a cube. It was as tall and wide and as long as it was. It was just a perfect cube. In the middle of that was a chest, and that chest had a lid on it, and that lid was called, we call it in English, the mercy seat. We call the chest the ark. And in the next podcast, I'm going to expand on these two pieces of furniture and really what they are. But I want you to understand that even the way we study, when you read the book of Exodus chapter 25, the first piece that God presents to Moses is the ark and the lid that covered the ark. When we study about it, we don't teach starting with the ark. We teach about how to get to the ark where the presence of God is and where it is represented there in the Tanakh, in the Torah. You see, we can't start where God starts. God starts with himself because he's the center of everything. But even when we teach it, we don't start with the ark. Why? Because it wouldn't make sense. We've got to start outside the gate. And we've got to go in and walk through the steps to go to the presence of God. And those steps are very well laid out and there's no other way. You've got to come through the blood, then through the cleansing, the daily cleansing that took place, and then you walk through a procedure. You see, you can't go to God any way that you want to. You can't go to God any time that you want to. God killed people for coming in at a different time, a different way, with even different fire than that which was from off the altar that had been sent from heaven by God himself. Oh my, there's a lot to learn for all of us. But I pray even today you'll begin to think about this sacred worship center as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.